if you got your Bibles, go to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Alright, 5 verse 1. Matter of fact, back up. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me read a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 8. Let me start right there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 8. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you and we praise you, God, for being God. Please, God, allow us to hear you and to be changed by your word, God. Help us to hear and understand, to hear clearly, God. Help us to focus on you and to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. And we were continuing to talk about justification and trying to get an understanding of what it means to be justified. But we're going to take a little deviation this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is talking because some people are questioning his ministry and questioning his claim to be an apostle. And so he begins to go through and begin to justify himself as a minister of God in the New Testament throughout 2 Corinthians. And we're going to pick up midway through that. In verse 8, it said, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have in the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many abound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. And so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought for us the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that, which we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. It's a 
perplexing little chapter here. Now, peace. And in this, Paul gives this picture that if we be honest, especially how he started, most of us wouldn't want this kind of life. Just be honest with yourself. He's talking about his continual trouble, that everywhere he go, he distressed, he perplexed, he's in troubles, he's in pains, he's in persecutions. And he said he's always bearing in his body the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul lived a life that was day by day suffering, uncomfortable, just one of the most luxurious life. But he saw it as something that brought glory to his life. And it got me to thinking, how could it be possible for a man to yield himself to Jesus? And the thing that he glory in in his yielding is the fact that life got a whole lot harder. Because most of you are like me. We came up in this American gospel. Well, the connections with the gospel and the connections with giving your life to Jesus is that you're going to have a better life. One of the most popular books that Christianity has made is Your Best Life Now. And so we have this concept of life with Christ that once I make this confession and I repeat after that preacher that everything going to mellow out and my whole life going to get a whole lot better. But the testimony that Paul had is that because of my testimony with the gospel, I continue, I am continuously in distress. I'm continuously perplexed. He talked about his outward man perishing. But he got this concept of reality where he said my inward man is renewed day by day. And he had this idea that I'm going through pain, I'm going through suffering, I'm going through trouble, but it's bringing about a greater benefit and it's bringing about a greater glory and one day God going to get me up out of this thing. But one thing we do not see in this whole entire thing it's complaining. And you read both of the letters to the Corinthians. Paul talks quite often about his sufferings. But one thing you never see is Paul complain. We don't see him questioning God as to why it is that he has to suffer. Why it is that life just don't seem to work. He has the ability somehow to go through this pain, to go through this distress and just think about it. The only thing Paul has to do to stop most of his suffering is stop preaching. People hated him because he preached. He was in jail because he was preaching. Dude shipwrecked and all all these things connected to the fact that he just wanted to tell people about Jesus. And so it was easy for him to fix his situation. Paul could have went to work and stopped preaching. He would have been fine. All the life would have been good for him. Paying bills, renting out his house, doing a good little job. Making his tents or whatever it was that he did. Just living a good life. But there was something inside of him that compelled him and that propelled him to continue in something that brought discomfort to him. And that Give me a thought now. It's a crazy thought I have, and it's something I've been wrestling with for years. Y'all tell me what you think about it. It seems to be that when I read the scripture, God is more concerned with our character than he is with our comfort. And that that, that seems to weigh the scale a bit much. 
Because just think about it. Some of the greatest examples we have of faith in the people of God are the people who went through some of the hardest trials we see laid throughout the scripture. Just a simple one. Just think about it. I'm going somewhere with this. Watch this. Now, Mary, little young girl, chosen by God to be the bearer of the Savior of the world. That seems like a special task, like God got something. Like, he like her. Matter of fact, that's what the angel said. You are blessed and highly favored of the Lord. So, that means God like her. Now, what did her being blessed and highly favored of the Lord produce in her life? She got pregnant. Like, okay, that's good. Children are blessed. But her getting pregnant almost got her killed. Because she was married to a man, but she wasn't yet with him. So the law in that day, she was supposed to be stoned. And she had this brother with her life in his hand trying to figure out what in the world he supposed to do. That don't seem like God like her too much. You got a neighborhood that even we read later in the gospel. Jesus, 30 years old. And they still referring to him as a bastard child. So what you think they said about his mama? The whole throughout this whole thing. Like they talking about this dude, he's 30 years old. He done raised dead, opened up blind eyes, done all type of miracles. And they still talking about what happened way 30 years ago when he was first born. So what you think they were saying about his mama? She went to live with her auntie. I don't think she did that because she just liked her and she just wanted a place to hang out for the holidays. Life wasn't that quite comfortable. And ladies, y'all understand this better than us guys. Just think about it. She was blessed by God. And a part of her blessing was she had to bear a child. And part of her bearing a child, she had to go on a journey, pregnant, from northern Israel all the way down to southern Israel. They had no, she didn't even have like, what, what is the little thing, a Ford Focus. <laughs> so she was walking around a donkey. Can you imagine that? Pregnant. Nine months pregnant, seemed like, at least pretty close to it. Going on this journey, foot and donkey back, to get to the place where God, the only reason she had to do that because God had a promise. If God one didn't choose her, she could have stayed right there in northern Galilee and had that child. But since she was blessed and highly favored, she had to go down to Jerusalem to have a baby, which means she had to travel, being super pregnant, hug her husband. On this long journey. I, mean, yeah, yeah. I said, I don't understand that. Would that seem like to be a nice thing? Would that be comfortable? To go on a long journey when you're about to burst? I'm talking about, I call that showing up pregnant. <laughs> My wife tell me, there ain't no degrees. Either you're pregnant or you ain't. But when that belly get all the way out there, I said, that's she's showing up pregnant. So she was showing up pregnant. Going on this journey all because God chose her. And then she get there. And I feel for the brother on this one. Because, see, y'all women don't understand this one. But y'all brothers can understand. When you got to the place where the woman got some expectation, and ain't nothing you can do to meet them. 
This woman been on a long journey all this long time, and now you ain't got nowhere to put her to stay. Can you imagine how Mary was looking at this? <laughs> Can you get the conversation of Joseph? You got to do something. How I many of y'all brothers ever? Don't, don't raise your hand. I said, don't raise, don't raise your hand if you ever got that. You got to do something. Either feel or word or just look like you better make something happen. You heard about that. I saw it in a movie. John Q called the man, take a whole hospital over. <laughs> take out one woman made a statement, you better do something. This brother got a gun and robbed everything. That was Joseph Ward, just because this woman was chosen. That don't seem too nice. And the lady ended up in there with some animals in a manger, having a baby, blood everywhere, straw. You got camels or whatever was up up in the stable going on and you totally exposed with your legs all opening up with the animals and they making sounds and you got dung and all this stuff around. That don't seem too hygienic. <laughs> all because she was what? Chosen. Only thing she was trying to do was do the will of the Lord. And the will of the Lord put her in that position. Well she had to have a baby in a stable with a whole bunch of animals and all that type of foolishness going on. Joseph stressed like a mug. That's why we don't see him too far after the thing. <laughs> Joseph probably had a stroke going through all that stress and anxiety trying to figure out what he's going to do to make this woman happy. <laughs> all because she was chosen. Y'all get the picture. And this tell me something. That us being comfortable ain't that high on God's radar. Like God could have made it better. He could have made it so that a dude just built the hotel like the day that they got down in there. And it was the first grand opening day and they were the first people to show up. God could have did that. He could have did it. He could have made it where angels just lifted Mary up. I'm saying that she had a celestial pregnancy. She just like gave birth on clouds and stuff like that. God could have done that. But yet and still, he made her suffer. Feet swole, nose fat, all that type of stuff going on. And had to go on a journey. It seemed like God didn't care about her comfort. But the amazing thing that is left out of the story is we don't see Mary complain. We don't get any record of that. So that tells me something about these people of God that they had some understanding of God that allowed them to go through hard times and still maintain and hold on to their faith. And Paul gives some examples of it in this thing. In verse 6 of chapter 5, verse 5 of chapter 5, it's talking about, it said, Now he that wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So he makes some reference back to the thing that gives him confidence. And he talked about the same person who working this stuff out, sending me through these persecutions, sending me through these hard times, and also giving me this promise that one day I'm going to be given a brand new body. He said, this is God. And this God has given me the earnest of the spirit. And that earnest is the down payment. He, he, he gave, made a guarantee and he connected himself to a promise. And the promise statement that he's given me is his spirit. 
So God has set something up to let me know that the reality that I'm hoping for is real and that thing is the spirit in me now. That's the hope that Paul has and that's where his confidence go back to. So let's think about it. When we are in hard times, what is the anchor of our soul? Now, some of us grew up under some bad doctrine. And we understand that if my radiator go out on my car, I need a new alternator, hot water heater explode, that means I ain't been paying my tithes. Anybody ever heard that before? Like, life go bad, things go wrong, so that means I ain't been paying my tithes. And so what we end up concluding is that some ain't right about my life because all this bad stuff happened. It's like, as soon as I paid their call, the alternator went out. And then as soon as I got the alternator fixed, the radiator started smoking. As soon as I got that fixed, I need some new tires. As soon as I put some tires on there, my brakes started squeaking. Like, God, what, what else can I do? Oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. Because we have an understanding that Things going wrong in my life means that something is wrong in me. If that be the case, Paul was one of the most wicked human beings ever to walk the planet. This brother left a shipwreck, tried to get warm, and end up getting bit by a snake. It's like, dude, you just die. It's like it's over with, man. God don't like you. If we took this understanding. See, Paul couldn't pay a tithe because he was on that boat and he was in prison. <laughs> That's why the boat crashed. You know what I'm saying? Because he ain't paying tithe. That's what the church folk would make us believe. But that cannot be true. Because this one thing that I recognize in life, righteous and unrighteous alike, we all go through hard times. Some of it is of our own doing. Some of it is stuff we just cannot control whatsoever. We just lost the birth lottery. Like, the odds won in our favor. <laughs> we were born with hard times and went through hard stuff and we got a lineage of jacked up people that we are connected to and those jacked up people bring all their jacked upness into our lives and so it just messed up. And if we take the thought that bad things in my life means bad people or bad me, we cannot go through life. We're going to break. And the anchor of our soul cannot be my positioning or the, the, the circumstances of my life. I can't look to circumstances to dictate what, how strong I am or to dictate what my relationship with God is. Because our circumstances go crazy. Some of us got old houses and we live in Alabama. And when we go through a drought, your bricks going to start cracking. That just happened. That don't mean you ain't pay your tithes. That just means you got a bad piece of land. <laughs> it's all right. We all do. Europeans that stole it for us, they stole a swamp. A swamp, when it go through drought, it cracks. I'm sorry, that's just the reality of it. That don't mean God don't like you because you went outside and you saw your bricks cracking and your door won't close the way it's supposed to. And now, oh Lord, you got to pay somebody to readjust your door. 
That just means you got a bad piece of land. That's all. But there's also this contrary thought. And there's some people who look to their suffering as a sign that I'm doing the will of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? People don't like me. You know what I'm saying? At work, they don't, they don't understand me. People want to stay away from me. And that's just because they don't understand truth. No, that's because you mean. <laughs> I just be speaking that truth. No, you are mean. And people don't like you because you mean. It ain't because you preaching. It ain't because you just blunt. You know what I'm saying? I just tell it how it is. And people don't be want. No, you mean. And people talk about you because you are a bad person. They got real stuff to say about you. <laughs> and so you don't look to that as a sign. I'm saying I'm a Christian. I know I'm serving the Lord. See what I'm saying? They talked about Jeremiah. They threw him in prison. I'm saying Jesus, they tried to kill him. So if they did that to Jesus, what you think they're going to do to me? That don't mean you're doing right. Because we cannot look to our circumstances as a validation of our position in our, in our relationship with God. Your circumstances are what your circumstances are. And you take those times to reflect and you examine yourself and you examine your life, but you don't make decisions based off what you're in. Because Paul followed that statement up about his earnest expectation, his hope, his anchor is in God. And he said, because we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, that's a very common statement, but let's, let's see, can we bring it into some reality? We walk by faith. And not by sight. Now faith. We talked about that. That's a strong conviction and a reliance. So that's what we live off. We got strong conviction and a reliance. That's what we make our decisions off of. The strong conviction is a knowing. There's some things that I know. That regardless of what is going on around me. And this is what anchors me. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Some things I know. And this is what anchors me, what I know. Now that produces a problem. Let me show you something. We're going to go on this journey. I was thinking about whether I want to do this journey. Watch this and we're going to break it all in. Go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78 and watch the journey. We're going to learn something about yourself and about life. And I pray to God that it helps somebody. Psalm 78. Verse 17. It says, And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness, and they tempted God in their heart by asking for meat for their lust. Yet they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? So <clears throat> this is Asaph talking about the Exodus adventure. They sinned more and more against God by provoking the most high in the wilderness. So they were doing some things that provoked God in the wilderness. And the way that they did it in verse 18. Said they tempted God in their heart by doing what? Asking meat for their lust. They tempted God by asking meat for their lust. Go to Psalms 81. Psalms 81 verse 8. Say, hear, O my people, I will testify unto thee, O Israel. If thou wilt hearken unto me, there shall no strange God be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. 
but my people would not hearken to my voice and Israel would none of me. That means they desired none of me. They ain't want nothing to do with me. So I gave them up unto their own hearts what? Lust. And they walked in their own counsel. So they tempted God by desiring meat for their what? For their lust. And this one, God said he judged them because he gave them over to their own hearts what? Lust. And they walked according to their own counsel. So get the picture. The thing that led the children of Israel astray was that they sought things whose sole purpose in their life was to satisfy and gratify their own heart's desire. That's the only reason they wanted it. And it caused them to question God. Because they begin to murmur against God. Can God provide a table in the wilderness? Like, can God do this? They've seen this God protect and spare their life. They've seen this God make the bottom of a river dry. To give, make a pathway for them to walk through and their toes don't get dirty. They done seen this God bring water out of a rock. Because a man hit it with a stick. They have seen this God. Cause bread to grow up out of grass. How can you question what can he do? They just seen this God stand over them and be a heater for them at nighttime. That's amazing. They say he came to pillar of fire by night. So he gave them a lamp and a heater. Cause he just stood there. That's amazing. The sun come out and he turned into a shade tree. In the middle of the desert, they got their own personal shade tree that walked with them. But because they had some desires in their heart that was not based on their relationship with him, it caused them to question him. They had no reason to question God, but they wanted something that God was not providing. So that created within their mind a questioning. And it caused them to doubt their relationship with God, not because God had been so bad, not because life had been so hard, but because their hearts was yearning and burning for something that God did not want to give them. And that's what caused them to go astray. And the amazing thing is we got the same story. Go to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. All right, we'll start at 18 just for time. Mark chapter 4, 18. This is the parable of the sower. It says, And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. So there's some people. say so they hear the word. They got it. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things enter into them and it chokes out the word. So they got the word. The first group didn't understand it. But now you got a group who got it. They heard it. They understood it. But some lust entered into their heart and it made the word of God in their lives unfruitful. So that shows you that this is a dangerous thing for us to be driven by our lust. And we take this word lust. To mean 
warn some man or warn some woman of being sexually driven. That's not what the word means. It literally means just a strong desire, a craving. A craving for outside things, something other than this word, something other than this God entered into them. And it choked out the word that they got. And this is what drove them to be unfruitful in the things of God. I'm saying, you just imagine. These are some folk who went to church. Jesus preaching. They hearing the word. But they ain't growing. And they read and understand about the fruits of the spirit. And we read and understand the scriptures about the word of God being so powerful that it's able to convert the soul. That the word of God being so strong that it's able to make me thoroughly furnished unto every good work. But we don't see every good work being manifested in our lives. And we be like, you see, that's talking about eternal furnishing. And we begin to pervert the word to try to explain our lives because the un- one thing that cannot be doubted is the fact that we say that's the one thing we know that truth and so whatever it means if it leads me to the conclusion that I might not be saved it cannot mean that so it has to mean something other than what it say but we yet to see that our life is lived and we're driven by the lust and the desires of our heart We let passion inside of us dictate how we live. What drives us away from God because it leads us to a place of discontentment. So that's why we can't be in the position that Paul was in and still be cool because we want some stuff. And that want is greater than my desire and my passion for God. God can't be good if he don't give me what I want. Y'all seeing what I'm saying? Let's keep watch this now. Watch how dangerous this is. Go to Romans. We're going to go through this journey. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I think I want verse 24. Yeah, Romans chapter 1 verse 24. It says, talking about these people who, who thought they knew God, but didn't live like they know God. Says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So they act like they thought they knew God. The knowledge of God was readily available unto them, but they rejected that knowledge and began to worship other things. And it says, therefore God gave them up to uncleanness. How did He do it? He just let them live according to their lust, the desires that they had. Go to Romans chapter six. Let's say we're gonna run the journey all the way through. Romans chapter 6, I want verse 12. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in the what? In the loss thereof. So sin should reign in your body. And the way that it reigns is that you obey is what? Lust. Just think about that picture. Obeying the lust thereof. Like obeying is like when people tell you to do something. That's how you obey. It's like how you obey lust. We all know that. Because lust tell us I'm supposed to have certain things. I desire it. I want it. So that's what I'm going to go after. Give me an example. Like I said, this, this, this is everybody in the room. So you can raise your hand in your heart if it really hits you. You get to this place and this understanding where 
whatever it is, I ain't gonna do that no more. Whatever it may be, like I'm done. Lord, this is my last time, and it was over with. I ain't doing that no more. And then you get to a moment where everything inside your heart craves the very thing you say you ain't gonna do no more. And you know what that craving is doing? It's commanding you. And it puts you in a position where for a split moment, by the grace and mercy of God, you pause and you have a thought. I know I'm supposed to be doing this. It only lasts about this long. The split moment. And then this thing we call lust just take over. And all that I know I'm supposed to be doing this stuff seems to just disappear. And some of y'all that real sensitive and convicted, you be doing it in the back of your mind and still be speaking, but it don't mean nothing. That's heavy and that's dangerous. What are you doing? In our mind, in our world, we think I'm just doing me. That's true. Halfway. What you're really doing is being led along like a little puppy by a master that's there to dominate your soul. You ain't just doing you. You ain't just living your life. You ain't just caught up in trying to express yourself and be free and people trying to hold you down. And, and this stuff may not be for me. No, you're being driven and you obeying a master. Because you don't understand lust is tempting, attempting to destroy you. It's attempting to make you a slave. This is not just who you are. This is an enemy of your soul. So when we have a desire that is contrary to what we know because the anchor of our soul, the thing that we walk by is our faith. Faith is conviction and trust. So when I know something to be other than what it is, it don't matter how I what? Fear. That's the way we're supposed to live. But the way our lives have been perverted, what I feel understands or underscores or it, it redefines what I know. What I know and what I understand can't be true because I don't feel that. That's not the way God designed us to live. Lust should not rule us. Lust should not dominate us. Lust should not drive us. But what we know to be true. And that goes everywhere. When you go through hard times and you're messed up in life, then just, just kick you all the way to the curb. And you get them depressive thoughts and you just feel like you can't live no more. And you feel like you can't go on no more. What's the key word? You feel that way. You desire to be left alone. You desire to be isolated. You desire to not want to be on this planet anymore. That's a lust. And the same lust that caused the woman to go out there and give herself to everybody is the same lust that drives you to be at home depressed. It's just the passion and the desire of your heart. But if I know the contrary to be true, I cannot allow my lust to drive me. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Let's keep this journey going. Watch this now. I want to dig this deep into your soul. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. I said, this, this, this is a verse that you, you put on your mirror when you're getting pretty. <laughs> put, put it on your mirror. It says, 
but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the what thereof? The lust thereof. Now he's expanding his vision a little bit. Yeah, put that on your mirror. Hanging on the visor in your car where you put your makeup on. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh my God. A life verse. Yeah, that's a life verse. Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Now, it's a couple of conclusions we can reach from this thing. That putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and fulfilling the flesh, the lust of the flesh, are what? Two different things. Putting on Jesus, fulfilling the lust of the flesh, those are two different things. So if I'm putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, I shouldn't be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. But it also leads me to another conclusion. That walking in the flesh is fulfilling the what? The lust of the flesh. If I'm living dictated by the lust, that's a sign to me that I'm walking in my what? My flesh. Question that I always have to ask myself. When it gets to some things that may seem great, simple question you ask yourself. I ask my children, and when, when we get deep into these moments, it's like some of the worst moments in their life. It's worse than a whoop. I believe some of them say, would you just whoop me and leave me alone? <laughs> when I ask that question, why did you do what you did? It's a tough question. It's a very tough question. Why did you do what you do? Now, this is what makes it very distressing for the children. Because the, the child and the teenage answer is what? I don't know. And that's the worst answer you can give. Just think, just follow me through this. Now, it applies to y'all grown folk too. But y'all dads just don't talk to y'all like that. <laughs> If your answer is on no, that means you are making life-altering decisions for absolutely no reason whatsoever. That's very dangerous. And in my mind, that means you what? Crazy. <laughs> because it's crazy people that do life-altering things for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Now, none of us will stand up and say, yes, I am crazy. But when you live dictated off your flesh, you're saying, yes, I am crazy. When I ask you the question, why you do what you do? And your response is, oh, no. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Give you a small example. One I use quite often. If I was to just start doing like this. The first thing that will pop in your head is, what's wrong with him? Right? And immediately, those who like you, you will start posturing in your mind an explanation for why I'm doing what I'm doing. And what if you come up here, ain't no bug around nowhere, ain't no gnat nowhere flying, and you'd be like, hold up. Why you just hear yourself? And I respond to you and say, I don't know. What would you conclude about me? There you go. Because actions should be done for a reason. 
And if I can't go back to a real rational thing that justify my action, you automatically conclude he crazy. Now think about it. We make decisions that put us, put us at odds with God. And sometimes the only thing we got to say why we did it is, mm-hmm. don't that seem crazy to you? Living in the flesh is living according to loss. Now, if we drive a little deeper and you get deep to it, and you say, the real reason I did it was because I wanted to. That bold. You know what I'm saying? That, 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 that's real strong right there. You, you're making a strong, powerful statement. And can you imagine one of my children standing to me and saying, Dad, I did that because I wanted to. That might not go as well conversation. <laughs> but that's what we do with our daddy. He give you a command. He give you a rule and you do the exact opposite of what he said and the reason you go back to it is because I wanted to. That's, that's, that's a pretty strong statement. But that leads me to the next conclusion because all desire stems from somewhat so the question becomes why did you want that? Why is it that you were filled with the desire to push you away from God? Why is it that the power in you was straighter than the power that you claim that's supposed to live and you were supposed to be the Lord Jesus Christ? That's supposed to be greater in me that he that's in me than he that's in the world. Loss is in the world. But the loss of your heart overpowers the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. Why is that? But most of us don't make it that far because we're not willing to have these conversations with ourselves because we validate our lives by our lust. I want some stuff. People wreck families because they want some stuff. You got children hungry because they had a mama or daddy that wanted some stuff. Like me and Aaron had this conversation. I probably shouldn't put this on tape. But a movie came out a couple years ago. Been old, it's old now. The Pursuit of Happiness. Y'all ever seen that movie before? Some of that movie almost got me kicked out of work. I tell you why. Uh, we were watching it, and, and, and they was just around. It's like, oh, it's such a powerful and amazing movie. Like, man, that one of the worst movies I ever seen. They're like, how can you say that? It's like, cause I'm a daddy and I'm a husband. This man made his son homeless. And made his wife leave because he what? Wanted some stuff. He wanted to be rich. And he was willing to sacrifice anything to be rich. So his wife was put in a position where either I eat and live and stay with, either I eat and live and leave my husband or I starve and stay with this man. No real man should put their wife in that position. No real man will put their wife in that position. But we celebrate this dude because we value success in the world more than we value success in marriage. Because you can be a great divorced man, but you can't be a poor great man. That don't make, you know what I'm saying? You, you poor and you, your pocket hurting, you ain't great. Now you've been divorced two or three times. Children crazy. Can't get quite along with anybody. But you rich, 
That's a great man right there. That's the way our world thinks. It's because we live in a world that wants some stuff. So if me and my boy is sleeping in the bathroom stall, but one day I'm going to be rich, it was worth it. That's because that's what we value. And we have allowed that mindset to creep into the church. And deeper than that, we have allowed that mindset to creep into our lives. We don't question it. That the desires inside of me are valid because they are me. That's a lie. The desires inside of you are just that. Desires inside of you. Either they're legitimate and they need to be brought into obedience to the word of God or they're illegitimate and need to be done away with. But what they cannot do is to be the reason why you do what you do. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? If the only justification you have for your actions is that I wanted to, I couldn't help it. It was my desires. You have no justification whatsoever. Because we don't live life based off our feelings. But our feelings, we use them to add passion to our actions. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Give you one more example. I'm going to leave you alone because I'm fussing. <laughs> and you complete the journey we had every other book of the New Testament to go through to show y'all that how God equate this lust with being evil and being a sign of you being in the world being a sign of you being separated from him being a sign of you just not being a Christian but I'm going to leave that alone I'll give you an example now let's, let's make this picture of this, this, this theoretical couple perfect couple, beautiful couple just got married. All right? In their fresh days of marriage. And this brother's heart is so overwhelmed with passion for his woman that she can ask just about anything. And he, he get to it. Just whatever it is. Like, ain't no ice cream in there. Will you go to the store and get some ice cream? Like, yeah, Walmart right around the corner. No, I don't want the one kind at Walmart. See, I like the kind that they only sell at Publix. You like, baby, Publix way on the other side of the ground. See, he don't say that at this day. Boom. Go all the way across the city to get to Publix. Come on back with a smile on his face because he did a good deed. See, this brother being led by what? The passion. And then, like, after two weeks, that passion don't be that strong no more. He go from a brother that run all the way across the city at the drop of a hat to a brother that she say, you go get me some water. And he in the kitchen. <laughs> like, what, what wrong with your feet? <laughs> and the reason that happened is because that passion fades. That's all that go down. It just don't work quite the same no more. But then his brother get right and he get his mind right. And he get to understand and love. Now, a strange thing I learned. A lot of women don't like this. And this brother get to being able to do the same thing that he was doing with that passion, even though he don't feel like it now. And the only reason he got to say is, because I love you. That's it. And that's the only reason he got like. Like, baby, would you? 
Ja. <laughs> I'm saying, you, you, you have brothers, I'm saying, they automatically turn to Bob Vila. Never used a hammer a day in his life. But the woman wants something done and he love her. He don't feel it no more. He terrified. He watched a YouTube video and bust his thumb. He went back and forth to the hardware store about 12 times because he keep buying the wrong thing. Because all they said three quarter this. And he don't know nothing about that. <laughs> so he buy everything that got three quarters on. <laughs> he got screws and nails and bolts. And he don't know which one for to go through, but he going to figure that thing out. And he don't do it because he feel it. He don't do it because he crumped. He do it just because he love her. And that sometimes this understanding that I love this lady has the ability to override their passion that I just want to be left alone. Oh, y'all understanding what I'm saying? Because that's something greater than just being compelled by feelings because feelings, they do what? They wane. They go up and down. You know what I'm saying? They... They be strong one minute when you at the conference and everybody crump. You, you strong. Boy, you finna leave everything alone. You finna kick your TV out your house. I'm saying you finna go walk around the street preaching to everybody you know. I'm saying you finna fast for the next 60 days and, and, and you gonna do it all. Then you fast Monday. And by 6.30 you eating everything. <laughs> And your chili calling y'all, mama, ain't you supposed to be fast? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You that Philly cheese thing. You got wings. <laughs> you, know you got donuts and everything going up in that thing. <laughs> I'm going to start again on the first. <laughs> See, this is the middle of the month. So you got to start on I'm going to start on the first. You lying? <laughs> Only thing that happened when you were clunking, you was excited, you had some emotions, everything pushing you, but now nah, them things left. And you ain't got enough discipline and the conviction to keep you going. But that cannot be the way we live our lives. Because we do it to our children. What you think our daddy think about us? How many of y'all parents then got that call from school? Mama, I don't feel good. What's wrong? I don't feel good. And you tell them, okay. <laughs> You're going to stay in that class. And you ain't coming home. Y'all going to school today. You're going to get out this house. How many of you have done that? I used to get it when I was little too. I'm saying my dad had the most strangest thing. They called him. And he always tell them to put me on the phone. Because the nurse can talk nice and sweet. And she just explained everything and make me sound so sick. <laughs> then he said, Put him on the phone. I get on the phone, damn, my, my head hurt, my stomach hurt. Son, tough it out. <laughs> and he hangs up the phone, and that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> because he taught me something, though. It don't matter how you feel, some things you got to do. And we hold our children to that standard. It don't matter how you feel, some things you got to do. I don't care if you don't feel like doing it, you got to do what you're supposed to do. But then we go to our Heavenly Father and He's supposed to all of a sudden change. Because I don't feel saved today. 
ain't got to live like it. Because I don't feel like God loved me today. I can be down and depressed. And so I ain't got to live in joy. That's a lie. It don't matter how you feel. You need to know. You need to know who God is. And you need to know what it is that he's done for you. And you need to know whether or not he dwells inside of you. That's the only thing you need. You don't need to feel it. Because if you live in your life off your lust, you are living an evil life. I don't care how clean it may be. Because we ain't created to live off our feelings. Y'all understanding what I'm saying? Anybody got any questions? What is a scripture? A scripture is the sayings or the writings of God. What does refer mean? Refer means you point back to something else. What does it mean to be chosen? To be chosen means that you somebody picked you. What does maintain mean? To maintain means to keep something where it's supposed to be, to keep it constant. How do people know what Jesus said in the Bible? How do people know? Because the people who Jesus talked to, they wrote it down to tell us. What does dictate mean? Dictate means to do what Jesus did, to say something to a person. Well, you use it in different forms. You were talking about that. Yeah, I just thought about it. So one form of dictate is to say something to a person and they write down what you're saying. You're dictating. But the overall word means to give orders and to make something is the way it's supposed to be through your speech. What is lust? Lust is a strong desire. What is value? Value is the worth of something. What is justification? Justification is to make something right. What is passion? Passion is, is the, the, the desire inside of you, that the strong feelings you have when you're doing something. How do you uh, propose people learn to balance the unctions and the compelling of Holy Spirit to do things versus a lust of the flesh? I think it goes back to the question of why. Because when the unctions and the compelling of the Holy Spirit to do things, most time when the Holy Spirit leads us or propels us, it's through knowing. And passion is connected with it. But there's reasons and there are justifications for so. So like when you in the store and the Holy Spirit prompts you to have mercy on the person. It's not purely just, oh, I need to help them. Sometimes you, you get a symbol that, hey, this person, they just need some help. And so it's that passion and that desire to help somebody and to show love to them that justify or balance it over just the pure passion, if you understand what I'm saying. So if it's all just hype, detached from reason and detached from the nature of God, then that stuff you question. Like some people get the unction of the Holy Spirit to lay a thousand dollars on the altar and sit at a chair and let a man lay hands on them. Like, no, that don't line up with nothing that we know God to be. But if you get an unction to give a person a thousand dollars to help them in the hurt or help them in their time of need or just to show love and show compassion to them, that sounds more like God. You get what I'm saying? So it's connected with our understanding of who God is is how we balance it. Um, do you have a like, do you have a ghost inside of your body? Do you have a ghost inside of your body? It depends on what you mean by that. All of us have a spirit. And one of the old words for spirit is ghost. 
So if you're talking about your spirit, yes, you have a ghost inside of your body. But it's not Casper. <laughs> you had one right. Oh, that one first. Okay. So I got like two questions. Go ahead. So the first one is when you were talking about how God was standing over you there like a lamp, mm-hmm. did they like burn up? Did they and, burn up? Like, did, was he standing like with his back to them or like his face was like looking at him? And the way the Bible depicts it, it says that the Lord came down in a pillar of fire. So to them, all they saw was fire. So it was like a big, tall pillar of fire hovering over, over them and around them. So that's all they saw. So we gave them light and it gave them warmth. Um, my second question is, like, how did they know to write it down? Did God give you something like, oh, we're going to make a Bible for the people that are going to come? Or I don't know how to explain Okay, that's a very good question. I have small conversations about this. There's a couple of different ways <clears throat> that we got the scriptures that we got. Like I said, I go through more full detail when we get to walking through it. But when you come to what we refer to as the New Testament, what God did was he lived a life in front of those, but he gave them a promise that everything I told you, the Holy Spirit, when he come on inside of you, he's going to bring it back to your remembrance. And you need to go and teach everything I taught you to the whole world. So that was the command that he gave them. You need to go and you need to teach everything I taught you to the whole world. And I'm going to give you a spirit that's going to bring everything back to your remembrance. And so what ended up happening once the Holy Spirit came, they began to obey Jesus. And they began to go and they began to talk. But the church began to grow. And so it made it easier for them to communicate with vast amount of people through writing than was trying to go everywhere and talk to everybody. Because the way the Bible is set up, most of it is set up in a meditative way. Something for you to think about and rest in. And it's hard to do that when you just stuck on, you walk a hundred miles to listen to a dude talk, then you walk back a hundred miles and ain't nobody else around you talking about that. So what happened was they began to write down. And most of these things that we have in our New Testament are letters. So they knew a group of people that they talked to, so they sent the letter to them, telling them what Jesus did, who he was, how we lived, and giving them some instructions for their life. And those letters got copied and circulated as more people connected. So that's how we got our New Testament. In the Old Testament, God spoke to the prophets, and sometimes he straight up told them to write it down. And those writings were collected. But that's how we get it. So if it was for like the whole world to like know then why do some people like not believe in God and don't have like Bible? Why do some people not believe in God and not have a Bible? Those are two different questions. Some people don't believe in God because they refuse to, is what the Bible tells us. It said that what can be known of God has been revealed in them. So everybody everywhere has something that shows them that there is a God. But they reject that. And live life according to their own desires and their own passions. And don't seek and pursue God. And the second reason why doesn't everybody have a Bible. Is because the people who do know God ain't doing their job. Because God put it on us. The ones who claim to know him. To make sure the whole world get it. So everybody don't got a Bible because we ain't doing our job. But everybody don't believe because they don't want to believe. 
Okay, so going back to the verse, like, if you're led by the spirit, then you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's some clear spiritual things we know to abstain from or things like, but let's say you are wired towards business, entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. um, and you feel and you know that the Lord has wired you that way. Mm-hmm. And he has you thinking about a million businesses or whatever. How does that. Like how you're wired, right? Mm-hmm. How God, you believe God is giving you certain gifts or whatever. Um, apply. Like how do you apply that understanding of God, how he leads you into things that don't seem spiritual or, you know what I mean? Like things that are world, for, for things that are worldly anyway. I, I guess you could say. I, I, I understand what you're saying. And it goes back to one, the foundation of it is what you said. That if you walk according to the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So our challenge as the people of God is to allow God to teach us and to lead us in all of life. And we can't be lazy as Christians because what what happens is we allow everybody detached from God to define and set the standards in industry. And we put the pressure on ourselves to accommodate our understanding of God according to those standards. Where there was a point in time where the leaders of industry and the leaders of communities were the people of faith. That we set the definitions and we set the tone for how certain things and certain fields were to be carried out. That we were the academia. Most institutions were started by churches and Christians. And so the challenge for us is to allow God to educate us in those spheres on how to do these things his way. Because against the spirit, there is no law. But we can't allow the pressures, if you understand what I'm saying, of the systems and the institutions that we're going into to control the way that we think about those institutions. But we yield to the spirit and allow him to educate us and what is the Christian understanding of business? What is the Christian understanding of economics? Like, I don't have to pick a position that already has been defined for me. God made money. God made society. God made economy. So I should be able to understand life and economy in a way that is reconciled to the spirit. Detached from the categories already given me, if necessary. You understand what I'm saying? So it's through that walk and that communion that we allow God to educate our mind in the industry. It's like, this is an example. I'm sort of a rebel at work. And the reason I'm sort of a rebel, and I'm waiting on to get in trouble for it, but that's just part of it. Ain't nobody messed with me yet, thank God. It's because of my understanding of government injustice. I work in juvenile justice. I have a clear-cut definition and a philosophy about what juvenile justice is supposed to be. It goes completely contrary to the mood that the state is going. So it put me at odds with the state, but they were the dumb ones who gave me a little bit of power. I ain't asked for it. They, they chose me. So when I get some time to make some decisions, I make decisions according to my understanding of justice. People don't like it sometimes, but people appreciate it because they understand what I'm coming from. The folks who work for me appreciate it. But it goes completely contrary to the mode of what I'm being trained. 
if you understand what I'm saying. But I refuse to break because I got an understanding. There's a Christian way to live, be in this industry. And I'm going to do it. And I think all of us need to do that with all of our spirits and all of our understanding. We need to establish. Let's be some groundbreakers and let's be saying some trendsetters. Don't like let the world do what they do. So I have two more questions. So one, like I hear people get around that, especially if they're working for someone. They talk about obeying the one that has rule over you. Mm-hmm. Um, like basically respecting and yielding to authority. Mm-hmm. And they use, I've heard that used as a way to, so they may know that something may be against what they're supposed to be doing spiritually, but because they feel like God has placed this person in authority over them, that they're supposed to kind of acquiesce. Yes, and I agree with that to a certain degree. Like I said, just take my position away where I am. I have been given some position to make decisions. Like I said, that day fall. So since you gave me responsibility to make a decision, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to take full responsibility for my decision. Now, I don't just kick the door in and say nothing that the state of Alabama tell y'all we ain't doing none of that. No, I don't. I learn their laws. I learn their rules. And I understand them. And I navigate them through my understanding of what justice is supposed to be. Because God created justice. He was the first one. Like In Genesis chapter 3, God started punishing people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's in the beginning of the book. And so there is a respect in it that I respect and I understand their authority. So it ain't just no rebel. I don't care about nothing they say. But I use my spear that he giving me an area. He giving me a spot. And in this little area, in this little spear, I'm going to push the envelope as far as I can in my sphere. You understanding what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so it is. And when it comes to certain areas that just go completely against what I know to be true about God, like I got, it, I almost got in some trouble uh, yesterday, or Friday, at teaching a class, and the lady brought up the comment because one of our rules we can't search a kid to determine their gender. Now I was teaching about search training. And I just put it up there. I was like, well, for us, that really don't apply. We work at a boy campus. So once they figure that out up here, everything that back there is a boy, is a mister, is a sir. And the lady pipes up, well, we have to call them according to their gender. If they choose to be called mister or missus, they get to choose, and we have to respect that. I turned to my people and said, for y'all who feel that way, use last names. Because I ain't doing that. I'm not calling the boy Mrs. I refuse. I don't care what K.I. ever signed into law. I'm not doing that. Because that goes completely contrary to what I know God's standard to be. I'm not endorsing and encouraging something that I know is completely contrary. So that's one of those things. I, hey, I ain't listening to what y'all saying. Because that's completely contrary. Now, I try to respect your rules because you told me it's all about respect and being respectful. So the way I be respectful, I just use your last name. Now, you still, like, when I'm getting on you, my eyes say, boy, sit down. <laughs> and I say, you need to be respectful of me because that's just the way I talk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's, that's, you need to respect me. And so I don't be offended. Well, all right. Johnny, sit down. How about that? You understand what I'm saying? But as long as you're in your spirit, you use the influences that you have. 
And the only place that you could truly buck and rebel against the system is when the system is contrary to your faith and it will put you in a predicament where you can't be what God called you to be. My last question was, and being led by the Spirit, is it that you expect to always hear the Spirit be explicit or is there times where will you sense that he's giving you a choice? I think both. Because the Bible, a lot of times, tells us about whatsoever you desire. That seems to be pretty blanket. Like, you delight yourself in the Lord, he shall give you the desires of your heart. So that, that means that let me know that there's some leeway for me to move in the be. And there's times in my life where I can see clear-cut times where I was praying about something, and God wouldn't give me nothing. And then after just pressing and it's like, it don't matter. Whatever one I choose, I'm going to be right. Because this is not one of those, I'm in the will of God, out of the will of God things. This is, I have the freedom to express it. Just like you give to your own children. There's a time where they got to eat exactly what you put on the table. But then there are certain times you say, what y'all want to eat? And within the parameters that you have set up, they have freedom. Now, you ain't, they can't, you can't say, we just want M&M's. <laughs> your choice don't go that far. But within your parameters, they got the freedom to do whatever it is that you allow. And so we have those times. And then it comes to you knowing and growing in your relationship and understanding how is it that God speaks to you. Sometimes you'll vote a verbal. Sometimes some people are visual. It's like, I ain't that creative. I don't see stuff. Me, I'm a knowing type person. Sometimes I'm doing something, I automatically know what it is I'm supposed to do and how it's supposed to be. I can't explain to you how I got that. I can just tell you I know. And, you know, so it's growing in that relationship and understanding how is it that God speaks to you, but understanding that some things you do have freedom in. Why do people worship idols? Why do people worship idols? Because they're evil. <laughs> and they refuse to worship God. So there's something leeway. Most of the time it comes back to our lust. Because to worship the true God requires me to change. And most people don't want to change. So they find something that fits with what they want to be and how they want to live. And they worship that. But like, why do they worship? Like, why do people, sometimes people worship idols and like, they worship idols for no reason, but they're really supposed to be worshiping God. Why do they do that? Because they're evil and they don't want to worship God. That's the basis of it. The same reason some people worship their cars and their shoes and all the other stuff. Because they have a delight. And some of it is cultural that they connect to why they do it. But people refuse to worship God. Why are the fruits of the Spirit called the fruits of the Spirit? Because that's what the Spirit produces. Fruits are produce. It's something that comes from something. So the product of something, they say, your fruits. Like when you work and you get a check, they call that the fruit of your labor. So if you're tempted, does that mean someone's trying to trick you into doing something that you want to do? Or does it mean that there's someone trying to trick you whether you want to do it or not? Both. Because temptation comes from our own lust. As James. We didn't make it that far. He said, we're tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust. So sometimes it's something inside of you that desires that. Like, I couldn't tempt you with green beans. 
What did Martin Luther do? What did Martin Luther do? He rebelled semi against the Catholic Church. So they were selling this thing they called indulgences and promising the people that by paying into this thing, and they was trying to build this big cathedral where they got super bad, and they was saying crazy stuff like, when you just throw a penny in it, your family life going to be sprung out of purgatory like that. The Pope can forgive sins, and they went super far. And Martin Luther was burning because he knew the church that he pastored, the people were poor, but they were believing in stuff, so they were giving all their money trying to save their family souls, and some of them were paying down payments for their own souls. Like, I ain't dead yet, but I'm going to make sure I'm going to go to hell, so I'm going to pay now. And he rebelled against that, and he wrote these 95 theses to the Pope trying to prove why those things were wrong. And it started this whole riot and outcry that led to what we call the Protestant Reformation. Who is King James? Who is King James? King James was the king of England in the late 15s, early 1600s. And they had a big uproar in his time. Well, you had two groups of people. You had your, your Church of England people and you had your Puritans, the people who thought that they were foul. And they was beefing. And so one of the ways he sought to bring peace was to bring about a new translation of the Bible. And so we call it the King James Version of the Bible because it was dedicated to King James when you read the front inscription. But originally they just called it the authorized version because it was the version that was authorized to be used in all the churches. Um, near the beginning, you mentioned about how they referred to Jesus as the as a bastard child. And where, when were they talking about that? When uh, let me look at it. I think it's John. Is it John four? Eight. John eight forty one is one the first one that pops in my head. Because this whole time they've been going back and forth talking about who fathers who. And this is one of their responses in the middle of the conversation. Then they said unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. <clears throat> so they took a shot <laughs> at Jesus. This whole time they've been talking about God and Abraham. But they threw that in there. We, ain't, we don't come from fornication. That was me. <laughs> Yeah, they took a shot at him. Like the whole beginning, all the way in the beginning, they started talking about who you are, where you come from, what gives you this authority, who your father. And so that's the whole conversation. It's in the middle of that conversation. They throw up, we don't come from fornication. <laughs> we know who our dad is. <laughs> Any other questions? That's it. They're all yours. <laughs>